Hello and welcome to today's Propcast. I'm Andrew Teacher from Blackstock Consulting and I'm joined today by Simon Durkin, who's Head of Research and Strategy for BlackRock Real Assets in Europe. Simon, absolutely great to see you. Looking fantastic today. I must admit, I've been a bit worried that, uh, that some of my suits aren't going to fit me very well post-pandemic, but you're looking really, really super sharp. Now let's crack straight on. Um, there's a lot of positivity and buoyancy in the market right now. Uh, and lots of deals being done. There seems to be a, a lot of capital flowing, lots lots of money being raised. What's your current outlook on everything? Thank you, Andrew. Very, very kind words. Um, yeah, the old COVID kilos have restricted the uh, the availability of, uh, of suits this morning. Um, but yeah, here we are starting to get back to some sense of of normality, whatever that might might actually look like. Um, as we think about about the recovery, yeah, I think we have to focus on the fact that what we've just experienced is isn't necessarily a it's not been a normal business economic cycle. Um, yeah, the, the shock that we've experienced is probably more akin to a a, a natural disaster. Um, given that we are, you know, we're, what we are starting to see is actually quite a rapid and significant rebound in the economy um, in the United Kingdom and certainly in the United States. Um, if we were to look at this three months ago, you know, the picture was very different in in Europe, where particularly the pace of vaccinations, which ultimately will lead to economies becoming more more open, um, was much much slower than the United than the United Kingdom and the United States. But those paces of vaccination have picked up hugely over the course of the last of the last few months. So, you know, we're expecting to see the pent up demand drive quite a powerful restart across all of Europe. But it, it will be differentiated. Some economies will open more quickly than others. Um, the UK is already well on the path to to reopening. And, mm. and we're all looking forward to the 21st of June in the hope that that, that date doesn't actually get, get pushed out um, or anything particularly derails us. Um, but how sustained are, are some of these recoveries going to be? Because it, it's fair enough to reference the pent-up demand, but obviously that, that once that pent-up demand has been spent, is there going to be continued demand? So when we're thinking about certain sectors that are obviously very reliant on, on tourists and spending, how is that going to play out? Yeah, yeah I, I think we've got to get used to localised lockdowns placing more severe restrictions on, on our movements um, and hence economic growth at a, at a regional or, or city level. Um, you know, that's, that's just the nature of, of, of where we are. Um, but you, in, and, and in terms of different parts of Europe, are you envisaging drastically different shapes to the recovery? We've seen talk about K, recover, K-shaped recoveries, W-shaped recoveries, and... It, it, there obviously, there's obviously a marked difference in, in particular markets such as logistics, student housing, where different parts of Europe are, are maturing at, at vastly different rates. Um, and clearly there's opportunities for value creation in some areas that, that don't exist, for example, here in London. Yeah, absolutely. But I think the, I think the pace of these differentials will continue and will continue to be, be pretty rapid. Um, so what we have to try and do as real estate investors is try and look through that short-term volatility and accept that we are in a period of increased volatility, in, particularly in the short term, at those longer-term trends, the longer-term trends that are really going to drive future performance mm. uh, and relativities between, between sectors. If we were to uh, uh, assign a letter to the shape of the recovery, K probably more accurately represents the 
you know, the, the, the fact that some economies will perform much more strongly than others, um, as indeed parts of society will, 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 will suffer more than other parts of society. If we just look at what's, what's happened in the, in the public markets, you know, stock markets are, are still trading at near all-time highs. Um, who typically has, has exposure to, to stock markets? It's generally more wealthy people. So we're actually seeing a bigger divide at a societal level being driven between the, you know, the haves and the haves-nots. So in terms of, of the, the, the different recoveries that we're going to see across Europe, let, let's talk about some of the specifics with different sectors and how those different sectors you see responding. Obviously, everyone's been sat at home ordering food and ordering goods, so the, the, the tail around logistics is probably a good place to start with that um, because it's been all guns blazing both from a real estate perspective and with a number of the uh, a number of IPOs for for delivery firms there's a whole heap of money isn't it going into the, the you know the, the latest craze being 10 10 minute grocery delivery firms which is uh, probably one for another podcast but from your perspective and, and as a house where where are you seeing um, trends in in those different sectors yeah the logistics story is sort of quite an interesting one as the clear winner uh, from the from the pandemic, um, yes, more retail has obviously shifted online as people's uh, ability to travel and interact with retail has been curtailed. Um, but you know we're still looking at figures of circa thirty percent sales online accelerated from twenty two twenty three in the UK, and that still leaves sort of seventy percent um, retail spend that will be driven through physical physical retail. Um, but you know, physical retail still has demand on logistics. It's not just about um, about logistics supporting online online retail. Where are we in the logistics cycle? I think it's fair to say that we are probably nearer the top of the pricing cycle for for logistics than we are the bottom. Um, as a house, we're still incredibly bullish about logistics in specific sectors. Um, and we're also very mindful of the risks that do exist around logistics. This isn't simply a one-way bet. Uh, and amongst those risks, I would cite largely the supply risk um, is elevated in, in logistics, as is the, the pace of obsolescence, which might not always be truly captured in uh, investors' underwrites. Well, and- a, lot, a lot of people would say that actually the the there isn't a, a supply risk there because um, because there's actually any limited number of places where you can construct big boxes. That That is the view of, of others in the market. I, I t- don't tend to personally agree with that because I, I think as we see a lot of structural change take place, we see the electrification occurring of, of vehicles, there are going to be demands for different sorts of infrastructure. And I don't think that's currently being considered. No, absolutely. And I think the electrification of fleets is one of the big unknowns here. Um, and unknown, an unknown equals risk, right? Um, I guess 2023 is when we will probably start to see the first fully electrified 40-tonner um, with a limited range. Um, but I think that will, that will just simply be the tip of the iceberg. Um, and logistics operators will have to adapt their sites and their use of sites accordingly um, to deal with, with, with the electrification of their, of their fleets. Mm. I suppose there is a limiting factor here, which is the, the propensity of the automobile manufacturers to want to produce electric vehicles en masse um, for the commercial 
for the commercial market, given that a huge, a huge amount of revenue is driven, dri- driven by uh, servicing. A typical internal combustion engine might have, what, 2,000 moving parts? Yeah, the but they're not going to have a choice. 20. Once, that's, once that's outlawed in, in, a, in a couple of decades' time, there's, the things are going to have to yeah. move, aren't they? So, Absolutely. You know, you, you, you've got that market risk, but also the regulatory risk hanging over you. But the, you know, the flip side of that, I guess, from an investment perspective, is that throws up other income opportunities. Uh, and I know a lot of the service stations are now looking at this. And the, one of the big barriers uh, appears to be UK Power Network is actually having the underlying infrastructure in place to enable you to, to build something on top of it. Yeah, absolutely. And that, and that will drive location-specific decisions, the availability of power being absolutely critical in defining a, uh, a, 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 a long-term sustainable logistics location. So at what point do people say no? Uh, and and, and are, are people being, are, are people putting their fingers in their ears a little bit with, with pricing in, in logistics and overpaying for stuff? Um, look, I think there are, there are, there's a long-term demand story behind the logistics asset class. Um, and we don't see that changing. Um, no, I mean, yeah, the demand, the demand story is there. I, I would just, I would just counter that by making people very aware of the potential supply risks, the obsolescence risks, um, and also the sustainability and the ESG risks that undoubtedly do do exist. And I suspect what we will see is we'll see we'll see many uh, many attractive logistics assets today possibly get sort of stranded in that energy transition and their ability to actually deliver um, within the course of the next the next five five years I think the speed of change will only will only increase mm. I don't think the speed of change has been limited by the availability of technology per se at this point yeah and 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 talking about that the opportunity that stranded assets creates that presumably is going to well, presumably is going to just create a lot of a, a lot of a lot of value add opportunities where investors can go in pick up assets that might have some decent fundamentals, be in the right place, but just need to be repositioned in a way that they comply with with with, with incoming standards. Is that is that something you you feel confident about? Um, yes, absolutely. I, I think the I think the granular asset level underwrite is what's absolutely critical here. Um, you know, if we are looking at an asset today um, with a lease expiry in five years time, you know, we have to be considering a very realistic capex to bring that asset back up to market to which it's going to be attractive to occupiers um, over, the, over the longer term or certainly within the next leasing cycle. Um, so, you know, whereas now assets, assets with EPC, EPC ratings of F, E, D, you know, we have to adequately um, price in capex to get those up to A or B, more likely, um, yeah. given that they will be they will very rapidly become un, unlettable. And I wouldn't necessarily rule out those re- those regulations changing and those um, those uh, those boundaries actually being brought forward. So, I mean, obviously, there's going to be a, a heap of capital flowing in to upgrade buildings and, and hopefully create some value and hopefully improve. The sustainability credentials of of a, of a of a large part of 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 the real estate universe, but 
do we need to now think differently about how we price risk and what we what we qualify as as core plus value add opportunistic yeah look i mean we don't have in within our industry a very clear definition of what is core core plus value add and opportunistic um inrev have probably the the clearest uh, set of metrics that allow us to categorize a, a, a particular style but I, but in a world where in a world where structural change is accelerating so so quickly um, it's inevitable that one's definition of risk styles will flex accordingly um, you know, real estate investments about largely income um, and if the providers of that income i.e occupiers are still uncertain as to what the nature of assets are that they require to run their business going forward, then it's inevitable that we have to reassess our own definition of, of what is core, core plus value add. I mean, I like to think about this in terms of notches of risk, almost a matrix, matrix of individual risks, you know, whereby going from core to core plus, maybe we take on one additional notch of risk, and maybe that's vacancy risk, or maybe that's some building risk. Um, stepping from core, core plus up to value add, you know, maybe we'll take on greater levels of, uh, of, of vacancy risk um, and maybe more uncertainty around the, the physical uh, characteristics of the, of the asset. Um, what we won't do, um, particularly within BlackRock, is that we always, value add for us always means staying in those liquid core markets that over the long term have proved institutionally liquid, given that that is the market that we're looking to exit into. And now what's the difference between a value add and opportunistic investor? There may be opportunistic investments now more about taking a position in markets that haven't got that proven liquid institutional um, marketplace. Um, you know, they are t- taking a bet more on the, the evolution of a market uh, increasing its attractiveness to institutional investors who ultimately are still the exit. So I think... Yeah, and we've I, seen a lot of that in Resi, haven't we, where, where people are now coming into regional UK cities and, and other cities across Europe for, for build-to-rent, multifamily, student housing, in places like Manchester and Birmingham that, that, that no institutions would have touched 10 years ago. Yes, yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. And you know, for every successful opportunistic investor in real estate, you know, there's one or more that hasn't actually got that got that right. But again, that's still sticking in your core liquid markets. Maybe there's a slight sort of sectoral bet there um, around the the emergence of of bill to rent and the demand for for rent residential, but it's still in the big liquid cities. Yeah, yeah. And and given the weight of capital that's now in the market, we're seeing, you know, huge growth in 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 global pension fund capital. Uh, are investors going to need to moderate their expectations on returns or, or is it is you know is it going to be a case of it of accepting low returns or, or high risk Look, I, th- I think that's partly a discussion between the, the manager and and the client i mean it's a very simple equation um if forecast returns are moderating and the risk environment is increasing you know, something has to be held constant for us we always focus on risk uh, if we hold risk constant then in this environment, one has to moderate their their return expectations to stay within a given style at a blended level for a portfolio. And then clearly within a portfolio, there will be slightly more core plus investments and there'll be some some investments that maybe are more towards, towards opportunistic. But at that blended level, actually the risk that we are exposing the portfolio to is more a value-add style risk. Mm. And, and thinking about 
cities now, um, and that that's where a lot of a lot of value add capital is going into city regeneration and and we've shifted a lot more over the last few years towards mixed use plays just because of the the growth of income producing residential and 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 the operationalization of real estate that that we talk a lot about on on this podcast how 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 can that be adequately priced given that we're moving continuously away from historic lease structures of 10 20 year leases into much more of an integrated operationalized investment universe yeah i think we we need to be better served i think by information providers within within real estate i think the traditional taxonomy of the marketplace in terms of retail office industrial um, by broad location no longer really explains how performance will really be be delivered most assets we walk around central london here andrew right most assets are multi-use multi-use assets what attracts an occupier to office space will be as much about what else is available within that local environment than it is about actually being in that particular office it's about their ability to attract and retain the key people they need to run their to run their business and and we can't we can't divorce this conversation from the the ESG conversation, um, you know, th- which has been accelerated by by COVID, and as individuals uh, and as employees, I think we've all become far more aware of our own personal carbon footprints, um, and we'll make decisions to work for particular employers who occupy certain buildings on the basis of the assets that they happen to to occupy. Um, so I think it's a multifaceted discussion, um, but it has to start with with information and data, and you know maybe now we have reached the point where. You know, we need to take a rethink as to how we explain performance. Um, it's no longer about an office just simply being in the southeast, because that range of performance around that blended figure is only increasing. Mm. And and within that that focus on sustainability, that's obviously very important to BlackRock. What what are some of the metrics that that you feel we're going to need to focus on that, that we don't necessarily have access to right now. So information that, that would be great to have, but we don't. Um, look, Gresby actually do a, a great job of, of performance benchmarking within, within ESG. It's not just about the environmental piece anymore. I mean, it has come on uh, hugely. And we have more information um, around governance, um, around you know, investor reporting, uh, about around transparency as well as environmental metrics about the energy usage per per asset so i think that's the starting point is having more information um there's a wealth of information that is now available to institutional investors of, of which more metrics will emerge that will actually define how an investment manager is performing mm. um yeah, it's and i guess that's going to come a lot more with with some of these operational sectors like later living where again you're helping people you're helping influence health outcomes and you're creating well, you're just creating value you might be saving money to a national health service or or, or helping extend healthy life which clearly has a, has a huge social value uh, behind something ab- like that uh, absolutely so, social measurement is the is the area where i think we're, we're, we're slightly lacking as, as an industry but i think you know the measurement uh the measurement in this space generally is, is improving really 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 quite quite quickly and in terms of technology what what role do you think that that will have 
on the analysis side going forward when it comes to I mean obviously the the energy performance is a relatively easy thing to measure but as we look to to understand footfalls we look to understand other areas such as air quality and uh, and and comfort you know the it's slightly slightly more um slightly more abstract considerations you might have about the quality of a building you know we're here it's you know it's uh, we don't have air conditioning here it's a listed old building but it's a relatively comfortable environment right yeah. but we have no idea about the air quality in here uh, just because bedford estates haven't <laughs> haven't provided us with any uh, <laughs> any air filters um but but this isn't something you'd commonly see in an office building anyway but it might be going forward. It, it, it's not absolutely. It, it absolutely. It, I don't think it's a question of it might being. I think it absolutely will be, and I think there will become a much greater onus on occupiers to be able to provide these sort of statistics, particularly around health and well-being, uh, to their employees. And this will become far more of a key differentiator between organisations and their ability to attract and retain staff, mm. who increasingly hold these hold these metrics really quite quite close and take them very very seriously and you think that that do you think that's going to play into a multi-tiered recovery for uh for, for the office market yeah i mean it comes back to our discussion earlier about the shape of the of the recovery um i think m- maybe what we'll see here is a, another strata in the office market of the more a super prime asset um that is able to deliver um, on the on the increasing wealth of metrics that are required by by occupiers before they commit to to occupying that that building, um, you know, and these will be assets that you know, typically are more are more flexible. Uh, by definition, these will probably be those that are the newest buildings, um, and these will be the assets that are probably more closely located to bigger transport hubs within within a city. Again, back to our back to our earlier discussion around the taxonomy of uh, of markets, if we think about central London, you know, is, is city, midtown, West End, is that still a valid uh, categorization of uh, of how we will explain performance going forward? Probably not. So it's a good point, Simon, about about offices, and I think I, I think I very much agree that, that there is a huge opportunity for for those in the in the top strata to really to really push push the dial with technology, with with data, and 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 to understand really understand and communicate with with what occupiers are going to want just finishing off now if you had to pick three trends that we're going to see over the next couple of years what would they be uh firstly i think urban urban logistics um i think an awful lot of focus has been placed on the 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 big box uh distribution facility uh element of the supply chain um so i think as as as, uh, logistics providers are thinking more about that that final last mile um if it's not a last mile great piece of work done recently talking about last hour logistics um so i think there are lots of opportunities uh, that will arise there i think residential um in all its guises um from from student housing through to built to rent up to single family housing and uh, senior senior living um, i think any investment strategy that is underpinned by a strong demographic story um will provide ultimately long-term resilience. Um, and, I, and I think an extension of what we spoke about earlier, um, Andrew, which is you know, the, the redefinition of how office space is used. You know, maybe we won't see occupiers actually take that much less space. You know, what, we, what we'll see is the nature of that space 
um, changing very, very substantially from what we've been used to in terms of banks of desks in, uh, in in offices. Again, and this plays to the larger, more flexible offices actually being able to deliver that that environment that occupiers will increasingly be demanding in order to attract and retain their their, their key employees. Mm. So certainly an evolution if not if not a total revolution there but fantastic well look it's really lovely to have you in great to see you simon um so simon durkin head of research and strategy for blackrock real assets in europe um and yeah you can obviously uh, subscribe to propcast on on apple spotify soundcloud and do stay tuned to propertyweek.com for future episodes and if you've got any comments or you've got any suggestions please please get in contact i've been andrew teacher from blackstock consulting thank you very much for listening we'll see you again soon